Wonderful. Good evening to all those that are here with us tonight. So thankful for your presence and grateful for you and also those that are visiting with us. Thank you for coming and being with us this evening as well. We are grateful that we are able to come here on the first day of the week to be able to study about God's Word, to be able to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we're always grateful and thankful for the many opportunities that we do to have to come back, even on this Sunday evening, to worship God. I'm very grateful that we have a lot of good people that make up this congregation, those who demonstrate everyday New Testament Christianity in their lives. And so we're very thankful for the church here, thankful for the opportunity that we have to be members of this congregation. Thankful for those who are able to watch online that are not able to get out sometimes, but they can still be able to see what's going on and, and be able to be involved as much as possible. We'd rather they were here, but we know that sometimes it's hard to get out. And so we're thankful and that we want to do everything to please the Lord and make known His name in this community. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 26 in our study tonight. And we will be talking about a man with a mission. And of course, we're talking about the life of the Apostle Paul. Now, I've been preaching about him for the past few weeks as well. And I'm just fascinated at this man and from where he came and where he ended up. And, and it was all for the cause of Christ. I think that if we could emulate the Apostle Paul, I think that we would be better off ourselves as great servants of Almighty God because Paul was. There are a lot of great men that we can read about in the New Testament. There are a lot of great women that we can read about in the New Testament as well. But there are a lot of things about the life of Paul that really ought to impress us. Now, last week we talked about Felix and Drusilla. When Paul went to talk to them, he told them about uh, the things that, of righteousness. He reasoned with them. And so tonight we have an account of Paul standing before King Agrippa. And in this context, Paul rehearses his, life, his past life as a Jew. And he talks about the, the efforts that he has expended on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're to look at what Paul has, to say, has, has said to be to this great king in days gone by. And we will then try to draw some lessons from that. So tonight, as we think about a man with a mission... We first notice in verses 9 to 11 about the conviction that Paul had prior to his conversion. He was known as Saul of Tarsus, but what about this man who was deeply persuaded? Who was this man of great conviction? When it comes to his Jewish character, I guess first and foremost, we need to think about his pedigree. Now, Paul points out to King Agrippa that he lived as a Pharisee in verse 5. In Philippians 3, in verse 5, the Apostle Paul talks about how he had been circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, as a well-known tribe. As a matter of fact, the first king over the United Kingdom came from that tribe. We're talking about King Saul. 
And you can read about that in 1 Samuel 9, but Paul traces back his pedigree, his lineage. And I think about also what Luke has recorded for us in Acts chapter 22 and verse 3. Here the Apostle Paul talks about how he was born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in the, in the city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God. You see, Paul was well educated. He was well educated in the Jewish religion and some have said that if he were alive today, he would have the credentials of a PhD degree, right? Now, some have said that, that Paul was well-versed in Judaism, and as a result of his heritage and his deep-seated deep beliefs, Paul did everything within his power to be able to persecute those who were the followers of this uh, new religion that was coming about, this new doctrine that was being taught. And so we first notice his pedigree, but then also consider the persecutions that he inflicted upon the New Testament church. Now in Acts chapter 26, starting with verse 9 and following, Paul said, I barely thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and be exceedingly mad against them. I persecuted them even unto the strange cities. Wow. Talking about conviction. He was convicted. Now, when you go back to Acts chapter 7, you will read about the death of Stephen. And of course, we know that Stephen was the first martyr that we have in the New Testament. And the Bible tells us in verse 58 of Acts 7 that Stephen was cast out of the city and stoned. But then notice this. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. In Acts 8 and verse 1, Luke tells us, and Saul was consenting unto his death, that is Stephen's death. As Luke then traces the events in the life of the Apostle Paul and prior to his apostleship, we find that that young man's feet was Saul of Tarsus. And in verse 3, well, we know him as Saul of Tarsus. And it says that at that time, Acts 8.1, that there was a great persecution, persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad without the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But in verse 3, it says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Saul of Tarsus did everything within his power to those to destroy those who were the followers of Jesus. There's a lesson there. Paul was a man of great conviction. I'm convinced that in his heart of hearts, he believed that what he was doing was right, but he was wrong. Sometimes we may think that we are right religiously speaking when in fact we are wrong. 
Solomon said, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12. And so here is a man that did everything within his power to destroy those who were followers of Jesus of Nazareth. And in verse 10 of Acts 26, he talks about how and when they were put to death. He says, I gave my voice against them. I gave my voice against them. Paul was a great persecutor of the church. Now let's think about his conversion, if you will. What about that part that Saul of Tarsus had experienced? Here was the calling or the confrontation. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, Paul had received letters from the high priest to go to Damascus and to find those who were followers of the way and commit them to prison. But notice what he says, verse 12 and following. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining uh, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me. And saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Don't you know that that was a wake-up call for Saul? I think so. Here's the Lord Jesus calling out of heaven and asking the question, why are you persecuting me? Question mark. Here's what Saul said, verse 15. Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, we back up just a second there. When Saul of Tarsus at this time said, who art thou, Lord? He said, who art thou, Master? Because a voice coming from heaven had to be somebody of authority. He didn't know the Lord at that time. He didn't know it was Jesus. And so that's why he asked that question, who art thou, Master, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And so the call of Saul of Tarsus, he was visited by Jesus. We talk about his deep-seated conviction that this man had. This man was very zealous in everything that he did. In fact, when he wrote to the saints in Philippi, he he was a concerning zeal persecuting the church. But here's what I want you to see. We have this call, and then there is this conversion process that takes place where the Lord Jesus used a man by the name of Ananias to go and to speak to this man named Saul. When the Lord Jesus called upon Ananias to be his instrument to go to talk to Saul, in Acts 9 and verse 13, Ananias responded by saying, Well, Lord, I have heard by many of this man, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. And so there was some hesitation, right? On the part of Ananias, and rightly so. I mean, we can understand that here's a man who's been a great persecutor, and now he's going to stand face to face with this man, Ananias was in fear, not knowing what he was going to do to him. But what about his cleansing? 
What about his conversion? What transpired when the Lord said, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And when you find him, he's going to be praying. And so we go to Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. The writer tells us that Ananias reached Saul of Tarsus. He responded by saying these words, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. Why do you think Saul of Tarsus was instructed to arise and be baptized? The reason that he was instructed to be baptized was because Judaism, the old law, had already been nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. The new covenant, the Christian dispensation was now in effect. Jesus was the mediator. He is the mediator of that new covenant according to Hebrews 9 and verse 15. Where the Bible tells us, and without shedding of blood is no remission, Hebrews 9.22. So what Saul of Tarsus needed was the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of one who had known no sin. The blood of the one who would be his savior because he was a sinner. And so here's the question. How do you contact the blood of Jesus Christ? Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10. And he would say that salvation is located in Christ Jesus. Now you have to understand that Saul of Tarsus, that he understood, he was well aware of what the law taught. That is the Mosaic law. He knew the Old Testament scriptures like the back of his hand. After all, he was a Jew. He was well educated in Judaism. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And Saul of Tarsus would have understood all of the great prophecies. He would have understood all the great prophecies that were given concerning the coming Messiah. He would have been well acquainted with the words given by our Lord to Abraham in the long ago. When God called Abraham... And said, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis twenty-two eighteen, And that promise was fulfilled in Christ Jesus, wasn't it? Paul would later write to the Galatian church and say, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians three twenty-nine, The promise that had been made hundreds of years before to Abraham. To who is called the friend of God. It was Abraham through whom God created the nation, the Hebrew nation, to bring Christ, the Messiah, into the world. Saul of Tarsus was well aware of all of that. He understood the prophecies that had been given. And so when we talk about salvation in Christ, according to Paul in Romans 10 in verse 4, he says, for Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone that believeth. Paul had come to understand that Jesus had indeed died, shed his blood, and ascended back to heaven. And so Saul of Tarsus was instructed now at this point to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins. The washing away of sins occurs when a person puts his or her faith in Christ Jesus as the Son of God. Much like what Clifton Reynolds did this morning. 
we need to be an encouragement to him in hopes that he'll start coming on Sunday night, maybe possible Wednesday night if he's able. But there are steps that lead to salvation. We have to first of all believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, John 8, 24. And then the instructions are that we are to repent and turn again. And Paul will tell Agrippa, based on the commands that were given unto him, that he has gone out and begun preaching and teaching repentance toward God, Acts 17, 30. But then there's also the good confession, confessing that we believe in our heart that Jesus is the Son of Almighty God. The eunuch made that great confession in the long ago, according to Acts 8.37. And then to be immersed in that watery grave of baptism so that we might enjoy the remission of our sins, Acts 2.38. So that we might enjoy the washing away, if you will, of our sins, Acts 22.16. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Well, that's what Saul of Tarsus did, who then took his Hebrew name, Paul, and thus became the Apostle Paul. But why did he enjoy that? Because he obeyed the gospel. Now, there are a lot of people in our world today that they have the idea that you can pray a certain prayer and be saved. I've yet to find that in my Bible. I always ask them, can you give me book, chapter, and verse? Help me to understand. And if we don't find it, let me tell you, what we do find in the Bible. Saul of Tarsus was praying for three days, blind, basically in a room all by himself, praying for three days, but he wasn't saved. The only way men and women can be saved today, the only way anybody can be saved today is to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is when we come in contact with the blood that we need in order to be saved. It's in Christ. Salvation is in Christ. 2 Timothy 2.10 The only way that we can get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. Galatians 3.27 But listen to what Paul later wrote when he wrote to the Roman church in Romans 6, 3 and 4. He says, know ye not that so many of us has been baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also may walk in newness of life. Why do we need to be baptized into the death of Jesus? Well, where did he shed his blood? In his death, John 19, 34. If we are to appropriate the blood of Christ that he shed in death, then we've got to go where it was shed. God asked Saul of Tarsus what he asked of people today. What is that? To obey the gospel. Why is that? So that we might enjoy a cleansing from our dirty sin. Now we've talked about the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ But here's what Paul said in writing to the church in Ephesus. In whom, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You see, the grace of God has made salvation 
impossible. That's why Paul would then say in Ephesians 1 and verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, to know that through the grace of God that we can enjoy a relationship with the Lord. And so there is the call to Saul, and then there's the conversion of Saul. And when Saul obeyed the gospel, he became a member of the church that we read about in the Bible. And when we do that, when we do what they did in the first century, we become what they were, which is simply members of the body of Christ, or in other words, the church of Christ. Because the church is the body of which Christ is the head of that body. The church we read about in the New Testament, nothing more, nothing less. We wear the name of Christian. We are partakers of all the spiritual blessings that are in Christ Jesus, according to Ephesians 1 and verse 3. And so, the cleansing of Saul. But then there's a third thing I want you to see as we look in this text, and that is the consecration of Paul. As we talk about his consecration, we need to see the purpose behind the, the calling of Saul of Tarsus. And with that in mind, notice the command of the Savior there in Acts 26. Here's where Saul of Tarsus asked the question, verse 15. Who art, thou, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Notice verse 16. Here's what Jesus said. But rise. And stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people, that is the Jewish people, and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, and to turn from the darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that ye may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. couple of things here. First, we see his mission, don't we? God has divinely appointed a mission for this man. When the Lord appeared and spoke to Ananias, he was instructed to go to Saul of Tarsus, and he said, go thy way, didn't he? Go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. And he went on to say in Acts 9, 16, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul lived to fulfill this prophecy. When you begin looking at the life and the ministry and the missionary work of the Apostle Paul, you will see that he, he was beaten time and again for the cause of Christ. And so Paul had a divinely appointed mission. But what about his message? Look again at what he said, verse 18 of Acts 26. Here's what the Lord Jesus said in relationship to this mission of this man and the message, the powerful message that he would share with the lost and dying world. He said, I'm sending you to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. How powerful is the gospel of Christ? Very, very powerful. In fact, Paul said, for the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16. 
The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 4.12 that it's living, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. When Jesus instructed the disciples to go into all the world for the purpose of evangelizing, he said, you are to preach the gospel. Why is that? Because that's the only message that will save men from their sins. How powerful is the gospel? Enough to save your soul, yours and mine, by our obedience to it. Paul was instructed to go out to begin preaching and teaching to a lost and dying world. Here were people that were steeped in spiritual darkness. Well, they were servants of Satan, basically. I think sometimes we miss the fact that, that those who are in the world, that they are in spiritual darkness. They, their spiritual father is Satan, if you The bottom line is that they are lost. They are without hope and without God. And yet here's the apostle Paul he is, he's now a man with a mission. And he has been given divine instructions whereby he can then link, he can be the link to bring people to Christ Jesus. Now we talk about the command of the Savior, but here's what I want you to see, and that's the compliance of the saint. Here's what he said in verse 19, notice. And here's the Apostle Paul, he's making his defense before King Agrippa. And here's what he said regarding this heavenly vision. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. First, the submission of Paul. You see, one of the things that we ought to be impressed with as it relates to this text is the fact that Paul could say, look, I submitted to the will of God. I've obeyed the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ said, here's what I want you to do. And the apostle Paul can say without any variation, without any modification, he could simply say, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. Here are some questions to you. When you read the commands of Almighty God in this book that we call the Bible, have you been submissive? Have you obeyed what this book teaches? Let's just begin by asking, have you been baptized into Christ? Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. Mark 16. Peter said on Pentecost Day, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. Acts 2.38. Have you done that? If not, why not? Could you say, I've done what the Lord has asked me to do, and maybe that you're here tonight, and you've heard gospel sermon after gospel sermon. You know the plan of salvation. You know that God wants you to be baptized based upon your faith in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That he wants you to do that in order to be saved. You know that God wants you to be a member of the body of Christ so that you can be a part of the ecclesia, the community of the saved. Those who belong to the Lord. But you haven't done that. In short, you, we, you haven't been submissive. You've not honored the will of God. Another question. Have you obeyed the gospel? Are you bearing fruit as a Christian? Or if you have obeyed the gospel, let me get that right. If you have obeyed the gospel, have you been submissive? Are you bearing fruit as a Christian? 
Here's what Jesus said in John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. There are a number of ways that we can bear fruit in this Christian life. One of the ways that we bear fruit in our Christian life is by holiness. That's living a holy life. The Bible tells us that we're to be holy because our God, our Father in heaven is holy. 1 Peter 1, 16. Linked to that, the, submission, the admonition to live a life of purity. We talked about that just last week, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are those that are pure in heart, right? For they shall see God, right? We have that purity of life. Paul would say in 1, Tim, in 1 Timothy 5, 22, keep thyself pure. Are you living a holy and pure life in the eyes of God? No, not, not in the eyes of everybody else but in the eyes of God. Would God be able to say, yes, that man right there is living a pure and holy life. That's my child. Would he be happy to know to say that? I want him to be able to say that. Another question, are you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Have you been submissive to what the Lord has asked you to do? We talk about the work of the Lord or the work of the church. Those works, evangelism, edification, and benevolence. Are you involved in one of them? One or more of these works? If not, then you can't say to the Lord, can't say to the Lord, I've honored your will. That I've been obedient to what you asked me to do. Here's another question. Have you been faithful day in and day out? Not Sunday morning only. Not Sunday night only. Not Wednesday night only. But day in and day out. Here's what Jesus said. Be faithful unto death, and the promise is the crown of Revelation 2. You can read the New Testament from cover to cover, and one of the things that is stressed over and over again is the word faithfulness. The action, faithfulness. Have you been faithful? Faithful to the Lord, living for Him day in and day out. You know, Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, For I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It was personal to him. should be personal to us. He then would say in Colossians 3, 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And because Christ was his life, he sought to the best of his ability to be the salt in this world and the light in the midst of darkness. He sought to do everything within this power to live a life that would be pleasing to Almighty God. And so what about you? Have you been faithful? Are you faithful to the things that the Lord has asked you to do? When Saul of Tarsus responded to the call by the Lord Jesus Christ, and as he recounts this conversion story to King Agrippa, he could say, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. It, it may very well be that a number of people will not make it to heaven because they haven't been obedient. Did you know that the obedience is a prerequisite to enter the kingdom of heaven? Matthew 7, 2. Furthermore, obedience is a prerequisite to entering heaven, as John had said in Revelation twenty-two fourteen, when he said, Blessed are they that do his commandments, for they shall have a right to the tree of life 
and may enter in through the gates into the city. If we fail to do the will of Almighty God here on earth, we cannot expect to go to heaven. Not at all. So we talked about the submission of the Apostle Paul. Then I want you to think about the service of the Apostle Paul. Look again at what he said. When somebody is baptized into Christ, when should they begin working to convert others to Christ? When should they begin working in the kingdom of God? They ought to begin as soon as that individual comes up out of that watery grave of baptism. They ought to begin working and laboring for the kingdom of God. I have to say, Clifton that was here, his son Bryce was sitting right there next to him. And I told Clifton, I said, now we need to talk to Bryce. He might be talking to him. And I hope that he is. Do they need to be edified or built up in the faith? Do they need to be taught all things that Jesus has commanded them, that Jesus would say in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20? Absolutely. But I think about somebody who's been baptized into Christ like Clifton was and, and Jean was last Monday. They knew enough to become a Christian. They knew enough to obey the command of Almighty God. Could that person not go out and tell them that what they did to become a child of God the answer is absolutely yes. They can show them that the way that they did is the way of Christ. And so what about the service of the Apostle Paul? Listen again. Look at verse 20 of our text. He said, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God. And do works meet for repentance. Paul was a man with a mission. That's the title of our sermon this morning, this evening. All of us, we ought to see ourselves as links in the chain. Every link is viable. After all, the church is only as strong as its membership. Because the church is made up of people. If, church, if the church is going to go forward... If the church is going to be what God would have it to be here on this earth, if the church here in Clearwater is going to grow and flourish and be all that God would want us to be, it will take every one of us realizing that we have a mission. Just like the Apostle Paul, we have a responsibility to the people of this community. All over this city, all over this region, this nation, they need the gospel and we have the opportunity to do that. To do a lot of good things as children of God. The key to changing the structure of our nation and even the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here this evening and never rendered obedience to the gospel of Christ, can we encourage you to make things right by obedience to the gospel? The good news. The good news that, that portrays his death and burial and resurrection whereby we do the same thing as we mentioned earlier, Romans 6, 3 and 4. If we die to sin, we're buried in that watery grave and we rise to walk in newness of life in contact with the very blood of Jesus Christ spiritually. Of course, it's not physically. I don't think Jesus had that much blood in his body. But we can be born of the water and of the Spirit in 5. And so you can have that opportunity tonight. Are you willing do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Are you willing to repent of those sins, turn away from them, and then make that good confession? As you heard Clifton this morning, he said, I believe the Son of the living God. That's what the eunuch said in Acts 8.30.
You can do that tonight. And then we'll assist you in your baptism to make sure you're, you're dying to sin and you're buried, covered. We always have a, a witness to making sure that we're covered. If an arm sticks up or a leg or something like that, we're going to do it again. Because you had to be buried. And then rise to walk in newness of life. A new child. A new creature. You can do that tonight. But you might be here already a child of God. You wandered away. As we mentioned earlier, you need to repent and pray that God will forgive you. And we'll pray with you. Can we, can we assist you? We're about to sing a song of encouragement, number 302. All we ask is that you bring your sins. Won't you come and together?